Don't Talk About is supported by the Royal Society of Musicians. Since 1738, they have been providing vital financial assistance, advice and guidance to music professionals unable to work due to accident, illness, stress or anxiety. Whether you're working as a performer, administrator, technician or teacher and everything in between, they're there to help. If you know of someone in need, you can contact them in confidence by visiting their website, which is www.rsmgb.org, or you can contact them by ringing 020-7629-6137. Support their work by becoming a member or donating today. Hello and welcome to Things Musicians Don't Talk About with your hosts, Hattie Butterworth and me, Rebecca Toll. Within our vibrant musical world, it can often feel that the struggles and humanity of musicians is lost and restricted. Having both suffered in silence with mental, physical and emotional issues, we are now looking for a way to voice musicians' stories, discuss them further and to connect with the many others who suffer like we have. No topic will be out of bounds as we are committed to raising awareness for all varieties of struggle. So join me, Hattie, and guests as we attempt to bring an end to stigma by uncovering the things musicians don't talk about. Welcome back to Things Musicians Don't Talk About. We are back after our summer break. Why do I sound like I'm on the radio on like BBC One or something? This is definitely some toxic positivity I wish I didn't have. Yeah, exactly. On my Tuesday evening. Overly positive. Well, we're going to have a massive catch up anyway. This is what this episode is going to be. But I'll head up the episode by just asking a cursory, how are you, Hattie? The whole of my therapy session today was around that question, <laughs> which I think she probably found really annoying. I was like, she was like, how are you? And I was like, let's just break that down, Kirsty. <laughs> what does that mean? You saw such a funny meme that I thought you'd really appreciate. Oh my gosh. It was like, therapist, how are you? Me. I'm good. Therapist, what brings you here today? Me. I'm bad. <laughs> <laughs> Because she used to like leave it open for me to start the session, but I hated that so much that now she always asks, how are you? But yeah, I guess I'm fine, Mm -hmm. but I think I'm just having trouble distinguishing the sort of surface level fine emotions with the like deeper emotions. And we talked a lot about that today. Mm -hmm. But for the purposes of this, I'm fine. I'm functioning fine. I'm going... I've got a big deadline tomorrow. The magazine goes to press tomorrow. It's all under control. The therapist in me wants to ask, like, what do you mean for the purposes of this? 
seriously, you're too well trained now. I can't talk to you anymore. I'm not, I'm not. I'll invoice you later. <laughs> Did that actually yesterday with Jess Martin. She asked me some quite deep questions over dinner. And then I, re- I was like, wow, this is free therapy. She was like, no, no, I'm just really nosy. Yeah, I mean, that's why I'm becoming a therapist. It's like, oh, okay, it's that, it's that, fine. For the purposes of this, I mean, like, because I don't just want to go on and on about unpacking. Mm. I mean, that's why people listen, I think. Well, yeah, I will, I will a bit, but like, overall, I think I mean, overall, I'm actually doing really quite fine. Okay, well, that's good. So anyway. (laughs) So how was your, because we took a break from the podcast. Am I not allowed to throw it back? Not yet. Okay. The, the first half of the episode is about you. The first half? Well, I don't know. Oh, wow. Okay. I've, I've missed you. I'm going to get in the comfy interview seat. Okay. Yeah, we had a break from the podcast. How was that for you? It was really good. Yeah? I had a really nice August. I was, I don't know. I didn't feel, I did miss it actually a bit, but like, not in like, a, oh, I wish I was doing, I wish I was recording stuff or anything. Like, I just quite enjoy all of the sort of admin bits around. You're the worst. <laughs> no, but like, I, d- I think I did write a blog as well because I kind of, I just really felt drawn to writing. And I guess it's, it never really leaves my life. All of this stuff is so much how I live. And like, we were texting throughout about things we were experiencing. And that kind of happens whether or not we're officially on air exactly but it was good I think to like see that you can take a step back and nothing really falls apart like people don't really notice you're even gone yes I think I often feel like there's quite a lot of responsibility on us to our listeners to be there for them but actually there isn't (laughs) and I think no they really don't care no and like as much as people do reach out and stuff it's not our job to be the therapist or like be constantly fighting the stigma or something it's fine for a couple of months to leave it or yeah. just have it between us two you know <laughs> yeah yeah we got it we got this how did you find the break though really good because I don't like the admin bit so I was like living my best life not checking I mean I had a social media break for about a month oh as yeah well. I was so impressed you stuck to that sorry not to say yeah. that I didn't believe in you. No, no, it's hard. It's so, it was so much harder than I thought it was going to be. Like I was ashamed at how hard I found it. Wow. Like, especially the first week or so, I felt so empty and so lonely. And I was like, oh my God, I'm so dependent on social media. It was really scary, actually. Wow. Like the buzz from it. Yeah, the buzz and just like the sense of being part of a community even when you're alone at home. Mm. And like the option of observing other people's lives when you want to. I think particularly because I knew it was going to be hard over the summer because it is so quiet and I knew that people would be doing fun things and that would be like the perfect time for me to get into a spiral on social media. So I kind of chose it on purpose and it was coinciding with our pod break. Yeah, like I read a lot, but only towards the end, like it took me a good couple of weeks to get used to it. Mm. Did you find that you wanted to document things you were doing that you then couldn't? Yeah, but I think I took some photos and videos of things that I knew I was going to post later but towards the end of the break I started taking them just for me to look at oh that's really um, nice 
because I was like, oh, it's kind of weird that I don't have any documentation of my summer. But yeah, there was definitely like a sense of, oh, I can't wait to tell people about this in a month's time. Or like, I can't wait to show people or like, what can I do to like make up for the fact that I'm not on social media? And maybe I've got to do even cooler things. <laughs> It's weird. No, I really so get bizarre. it. So bizarre. So weird. I really get it. Very impressive. So what did you do over the summer? Well, this is the thing, isn't it, about the summer when you when you were an adult is uh, you don't really have... <laughs> you worked. I mean, it didn't stop. I kind of took some days here and there. Like my dad came at the start of August. We went to the proms. That was amazing. And then I like went away twice mm-hmm. by myself. And... Yeah. What else did I do? I went, I went to Verbier as well. I don't know if that was oh before my God. the pod break. Yeah. No, that was I think after. It, it was after, yeah. Crazy. So that was amazing. <laughs> crazy. This <laughs> international crazy. life. I'm out so crazy. I'm going to Sweden tomorrow. <laughs> Bloody hell. Sweden. You're in demand. It's true. I'm going with Damaris, actually. I thought you said you were going with Jasmine. Jasmine, but like Damaris is leading the trip. Cool. I know. Cute. With baby or without baby? With baby and husband. <gasps> Cute. I know. So it's going to be lovely. But um, yeah, I do definitely feel like ready for the new academic year. It's funny that you say like as an adult, it doesn't really stop because I felt like everything stopped over summer, like being a freelancer. I mean, of course I had Lucerne for most of August, but July was almost nothing. I had no students, no gigs. Like I had maybe three weeks of no work at all wow which makes me sound really like I should be very grateful for that but it was also really hard yeah yeah I used to hate yeah I couldn't appreciate it fully because I knew that it was just quite a long stretch of nothing Mm. Mm. yeah anyway what were you gonna say just I used to hate the summer when I was a kid so yeah I'm quite relieved at like having something to focus on throughout it. Yeah. And I also really liked that I can go away and still have the ability to work mm-hmm. with this old hybrid thing. It's wonderful. <laughs> You're such a journalist now. I'm so hybrid. Talking of journalism, a little segue into one thing that you wanted to mention, which was critics mentioning musicians' bodies in reviews. Yeah, and then I guess also there was a high-profile example <laughs> recently, which wasn't it wasn't a review; it was just a standalone profile interview. Yeah, and that's kind of why when I was like, "That's the one you texted me about." Yeah, right? yeah, okay. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we could mention it, but I just this is also where I get confused: is like how to call people out on it, and how much I feel it should just be common sense. Yeah, and. I think it all comes back to this idea of people thinking that thinness is a compliment or like commenting on someone's thinness is a compliment. But I think you don't know where someone's at with that sort of view of themselves. Because you don't... Or other people reading the article. Yeah. And it's almost like if we portray someone or if we mention it, it's kind of, it just, it felt like in this article, it fed towards this image of the musician as someone that's successful and busy. And there was also a lot of dialogue around 
hours per day and how many hours per day they'd practiced. And Mm -hmm. just kind of in my head felt like we were regressing 10 years to this vision of a skinny, stressed, beautiful musician, very photogenic, all hours per day in the practice room, tortured, but like also nobody sees that side of them. I think also it's hard to call out that kind of thing because just to like put it into context, it was only just like one word in passing. Like it just mentioned that the musician was slim and that was it. And it's almost harder to call that out because it's not like a Norman Lebrecht, like the whole article's (laughs) about like their appearance or something. So you feel like you're overreacting almost. But the fact that it's so normalized that you would use something like slim to add to the person's image of success or like allure such a problem yeah yeah exactly yeah it felt really icky Mm. I don't know and then I kind of had to ask myself like is this a jealousy but I feel like if someone had written that about me and I was thin I think I'd still find that really weird yeah you know and also nobody's saying a fat I don't know person and the fact that nobody's ever mentioning somebody's fatness in a positive way yeah. it's only ever in a negative way just shows how damaging it you wouldn't say like oh they waddled onto the podium yeah like i don't know this this gargantuan mass yeah exactly <laughs> and so why why is it okay to to say like a slim figure or whatever yeah it's just again equating slimness to moral superiority or success or something like that And it's just so, there's so many complexities to it that are just so blur. Yeah, because I think I thought if I did call it out, I can so imagine the the Twitter backlash of just, it's one word, what's your problem? Yeah. Like, I can just so hear it. And there's part of me, as you say, that like gets that. And it was obviously harmless and it wasn't meant in that way. But I think because I'm reading these, I'm reading reviews a lot at the moment in my job where it's mentioned and I have to edit it out and it's just it just really getting to me at the moment like now because it's and it's usually women I'm not saying it hasn't happened with men there have been high profile cases of you know opera singers who are male who have been called out or have been had horrible things written about them but it is usually women it's usually mid and plus size women and you know we've had cases of has been like one recently that really like stumped me was someone talking about how because she had a bigger figure the costume that was made for her wasn't flattering and I was just like (laughs) what because a part of me was like I know what you're trying to say like the costume designer should have made sure they were comfortable but like maybe they were comfortable yeah it's more about the viewer's discomfort at the person's larger body rather than the artist's actual comfort also just because generally like calling things out always comes across as so aggressive which sometimes is really fine because somebody has done something really really wrong and they deserve to have people be angry but in this case when it's just one word it feels really unfair on the on the person for them to perceive you as being really angry at them it's like no I just want to have like a a calm conversation about this one word I don't want it to blow up like I don't want it to be this massive thing but in not saying anything it's making it into a massive thing for me yes yeah completely and and it is usually just a few words like there was a really high profile case of in the guardian of someone being described of as dumpy in 2014 and that like went really viral yeah and 
you know, there have been cases of people being fired because they couldn't fit in a certain dress and, and all that sort of thing. And I think opera is like renowned for being really confusing. <laughs> but then the outrage comes when somebody's called fat or like overweight. The outrage is never there when somebody is mentioned as thin. Yeah. And that has been there as well quite a lot. Yeah. Some journalists love to sort of wax lyrical about their beautiful body. Yeah. And I just, like as someone who's really struggled on like both ends of the body comments, I'm sure you have as well. I don't think we should even mention it. No. And it is tricky because performing is a physical and a visual thing. But when the body is so political, it feels just yeah as you said earlier like common sense just to not like there's so much else that you can talk about and surely like I know music journalism is trying to be relevant and is trying to be like interesting to all sorts of people and not just academic or whatever but that's not the way to go about it Mm -hmm. like we don't need to make it into like a clickbait magazine kind of thing yeah it's just I think it's also I don't know. It's, it becomes it's become something that I'm really passionate about, I think, probably because I'm dealing with it a lot at the moment. And part of why I kind of have gone back to therapy is because of my diabetes, really bringing up this awareness around food and my body image and, and everything. Yeah. And I think I just maybe it's because I'm just so aware of it at the moment. It just I feel safest in places where I don't feel like that's how people look at me or perceive me or even would even come close to mentioning it you know yeah so I also do feel that sometimes I'm wary about speaking up about things because I feel like I'm the only one that's so obsessed with thinking about those things mm. but when I do it turns out that every like so many people are feeling the same way and the fact that we're not saying something makes it more isolating so I think you being passionate about it is kind of a voice for a lot of people Mm. Um, more than you would realize. I hope so. And like, I did have a really uncomfortable situation at work where we were discussing how we were gonna like lay out this Maria Callas issue. For people that don't know, this opera singer who like famously was told to lose weight, lost like over half her body weight, but then basically died of consequences of an eating disorder. And yet no one really speaks about it. And it's all kind of how she was revered for this incredible sound and like her bel canto, you know, interpretation. And and I think they really wanted to hear like my ideas for this glorified diva sort of issue. And I think I was just so clear from the start that was like, we have to use this to speak up for singers with body image issues and eating yeah. disorders. It's so relevant, even though that happened so long ago. Yeah, but I think they were so confused there was a sense Mm. of like how is that like something that people would want to read in a consumer opera magazine yeah and it's like how is that something they wouldn't want like surely you want to hear like how singers are feeling about their body like this is horrible it's that thing of like oh why would you put a downer on this celebration of somebody and it's like because that was such a huge part of their life like it would be an insult if we didn't mention it and like so I had, I've had to read so much about Callus and like she was, I didn't realise she was actually kind of nasty, you know, and because of this kind of glorification as well, we forget about, she's probably really malnourished. She was probably, she was a really horrible person. She wasn't a very nice teacher. 
people had really awful run-ins with her. I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate her. We totally should. We should just be like open about all aspects of her life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm really proud actually. We've had an amazing writer, Lauren McQuiston, who you oh, amazing. Yes. Uh, she, Rebecca interviewed her about her experiences with addiction and alcoholism. So go back and listen to that. It was like quite a few years ago, like two years ago. Yeah, probably about that. But she's also now writing for us because she's also a soprano. And she's written this piece, which has involved singers like anonymously, but it basically takes you through Callis's life and puts it into like contempt, like today's context. Wow. Of things she did and like how that would be perceived now. And like, is, I'm so excited. No, I think you'll really like it. It's yeah. I'm really pleased that like, I, I'm actually really proud. I was able to find a voice of someone who'd experienced it and like, had the contacts and knowledge to like bring this story to life so yeah anyway that's like a long way of just saying thinking about it all the time well done but i i think it's important that maybe in future we think about how we can call that out i'm even kind of thinking of doing like just an instagram post of like why mentioning someone's body could be triggering yeah. in a review even in the most like passing way yeah you don't know, I mean, the number of times that I can remember specific words that people said to me about my body when I was suffering and they were saying it in just such a flippant manner, but I still remember them like however many years later. Mm. And like, it's like that feeling of, it's that really confusing feeling of like wanting to hide, but also like weirdly liking it. And it's just too much for some people that goes on when you comment on their body. Yeah. For it to be there's something we shouldn't do, in my humble opinion. Yeah, and I think the more we can treat musicians and people that we idolise as complete human beings, not just a facade of talent or whatever, I think that's only going to help. In the same way that pop musicians and stuff are opening up and being more kind of personable. I know that you're, you feel the same, that you know this should be the same for classical musicians mm -hmm. like just treating them as kind of performing monkeys and just revering them for their like talent is not gonna do us any favors yeah yeah but I mean I want to hear about you now I actually when you were speaking about having like three weeks sorry got boxes everywhere lovely when boxes. you're speaking about having like three weeks of nothing on I was kind of, my mind was kind of casted back to last summer when you had a really difficult time. I don't know if what you... happened last summer. You had like quite a long period of depression. Oh yeah. Around... Sorry, I love, how, I love how you remember and I don't. Well, because it was really sad to watch. You know, you forget how it does stick with you when like other people are going through, like more than even maybe yourself sometimes. But like, yeah, I really remember, you know, things were coming up from your past and like you had a lot of free time, but like you felt really guilty about like not using it and stuff like that but like how has your mental health been this summer first of all yeah like a mix I think unlike last summer when I had lots of free time and kind of sank into a depression this summer I don't know whether it was subconscious that I kind of worked against that and I think also helped that I wasn't on social media because it was like a double 
a double freedom slash emptiness that I was like, right, I've got to really work against this. And figure it out kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. So I just did a lot of like, I don't know, it was like practicing spending time by myself and being comfortable with that. I just took things really slow and did like very wholesome things like gardening and reading and things that are just very mindful. Sounds very cliche, but it was mostly a very nice time. Yes, there were some moments of feeling like everyone else was on tour and really busy and I didn't have any work. So I was, you know, a failure. But I think, well, I know that not being on social media helped not see that in the same way, not have it kind of pushed into my face. Yeah. So it was mostly that. I mean, that was most of July. And then then I went to the Lucerne Festival Academy for most of August. So then it was kind of like the opposite. I had 10 a.m. till 10 p.m. rehearsals most days. So it was kind of a bit of a shock to the system, even though I knew that it would be like that because I'd been two years ago as well. And I mean, there were a lot like really good things and some really bad things that came from being Mm. that busy. I think I was kind of curiously proud of how much I could do. Like I wasn't Mm. expecting to be able to do that many rehearsals or just like kind of make it through because I mean, I have a nap every day when I'm at home (laughs) and like just on a physical level, I wasn't sure how I would be able to not have a nap every day or like be socializing every day or just like for my chops, like being able to play trumpet all day. So I was pleasantly surprised. You've got more stamina than you thought. Exactly. Yeah. And I had more like social stamina than I thought. Like I wanted to hang out with people and what? A really bizarre. I mean, you know me. Like this is. I talked to like my host. I talked to people that aren't in my section. I talked to random strangers. I was very social. Yeah, I am the coolest. So there was that. Like the positive side. There was also the kind of, kind of burnout side of going from nothing to like 12 hour days every day we had one day off in three and a half weeks which at the time I kind of fell back into that place of using that as something to boast about I was like oh my god we've only had one day off but at the beginning I felt like I was the only person that found it weird that we had these crazy long days like people would complain about it but then it felt like everybody else was just fine or like entered into the yeah. spirit of being overworked. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. I got really angry kind of halfway through at how music courses and music academies and these kind of things are run because it is so normal that you're just exhausted for however many weeks it is and your quality of work does go down, but you're expected to keep it the same. But it's almost like you're, it's like, gaslighting almost like how can I perform as well in the last concert of the course as the first one when I haven't slept more than however many hours and so like... wait once the concert started did you still rehearse all day well it was different repertoire oh each my week Lord. you must have covered so much yeah I mean we did I think I had like nine or ten pieces or something all right that's not as much as as I thought no okay all right with 12 hours a day <laughs> no but it's No, there was, it was definitely more rehearsal, like, especially in the UK classical scene, 
we're very used to having like maybe a three hour or a six hour rehearsal on the day and then doing a concert. I mean, we did the Rite of Spring by Stravinsky in the final week. We must have had like 12 to 18 hours of rehearsal just on that piece. More than the Aurora Orchestra, probably. Well, yeah, exactly. Don't even get me started. So there was a lot of rehearsal for, I was going to say so few pieces, but the number of pieces that we did, there was a lot. Because we also had like sectionals and brass things and whatever. But then there was also the attitude of, oh, if you have a free evening, you should sign up to this workshop or you should go Go to to this concert. concert. No. Yeah. Exactly. And I was one of these people that was like, no, any free time I'm going to get, I'm going to take it because it's so rare. I was like one of the only people that didn't go to a concert. You're brilliant. Yeah. That's Mm. why I see going to concerts as part of my job for that reason. Yeah, I'd had enough music by the end of the day. And also from like an ear health point of view, like my ears were tired. Well done, legend. You've got this. I've got my ears left. Almost. (laughs) So it was very intense. What about like socially? Because I know you've spoken in the past about feeling like pressure to drink and to socialize and to like be life and soul. And Mm. did you feel you were able to be yourself more? Did you still feel like a sense of pressure? I felt much more able to stay true to my own kind of social energy levels. I think the first week and a bit, I really didn't go out. And I was very wary of pacing myself because of, how long I knew it was going to be and how much pressure I felt last time. So I think by the end, I wanted to see people because I'd kind of limited Mm. my interactions from the beginning. Yeah, I was really, really happy with the level of socialising I I had. And like I did go off and do stuff by myself a lot, like when I could. So if there was a lunch break, sometimes I go to the beach by myself or go and take my laptop and do some stuff. Well, usually just like looking at my emails and not replying to them. Yeah, I mean, that's an important part of every day. Yeah, exactly. You've got to look at your emails and maybe move some of them into folders. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You're brilliant at your email folders. Yeah, I love organising digital files. (laughs) So yeah, socially it was better than I thought it was going to be. Okay. And then towards the end, it sounds like things took a kind of dark turn. Yeah. Is that how you see it? Or did it? Yeah. Unfortunately, it is. Like, can you tell a lot of thinking? Yeah. I think it was just like the second to last night, I, we were hanging out with everyone, and there was one person from my section that, was being very like sexually forwards with me and I think I find it difficult well yeah I've realized I find it difficult to talk about because nothing like in my eyes really serious happened it just ended up being sexual harassment rather than sexual assault and I think my reaction to it has felt very severe Mm. despite nothing like it felt like it could have been a lot worse but basically an evening we had like a goodbye event and then we all went to the bar by the lake where we always go and this guy was just just being very pushy 
and kept following me around. And then towards the end of the night, like one of my friends kind of swooped in and was like, don't worry, I'm going to take him to the bus station. And like, I'm a bit worried about you two being together. So like you go home. I was already on my way home, but he was like, you know, you take, you sort yourself out. I'll sort him out because he was really drunk. And then later on, I got a call from the guy being like, I'm really lost. Like I can't find the bus station. And at the time I just felt too bad to just let him wander around lost. And because I was actually on the phone with Stuart at the time when I got these messages and then I called the guy back and he was like, just be careful because it sounds a bit like a plan just to get you to go back by yourself. And in hindsight, I think it was. And so then when I did go back, he was being a bit more physical with me and very verbally like explicit despite me being very clearly not into it. Anyway, what I found really difficult was the next day was our final concert day. Mm. And I found it like conflicting because I felt so awful about it, but I didn't want to like make a mess or make a drama or anything just before the concert. And I know that sounds stupid and I know that you know, my well-being should come above everything. But when you're in that situation of it's the final concert of a three-week course, it's like like the, the final celebration, the final goodbye, like the last thing you want to do is cause an upset. And like, because I know the festival has like a very like zero tolerance for sexual assault or anything like that. So I knew that there was the possibility that if I said anything, this guy would be sent home a few hours before the concert on a piece that we'd been rehearsing for however many hours so so you risked feeling safe yes but it was also a thing of because I had some pieces in the concert that I was a bit worried about I also didn't want to like stir things up yeah on the day and like cause drama and maybe have to come out of rehearsal and talk to people like my, I know what you mean. There's yeah, I just, just wanted to get through. through. Yeah. And I definitely felt like, in general, I didn't want to cause a big drama because of, like, cancel culture. And I didn't want to ruin this guy's life by saying something because that it can so quickly take a turn like that. But at the same time, he is in a position of power mm-hmm. and he has a teaching job where we know he teaches young people. And I talked to one of my other colleagues who was really supportive about it and was like, look, he could have done this to an 18 year old and it could have been a lot worse. And yeah, it was a really, what I experienced on a much you know smaller level than it, it could have been a lot worse was like, even when you're the one that experiences something like that and you're going through the raw emotions of it, you've still got to be the one to report it and to go through the emotional labor of causing a scene in air quotes. And also because he was in my section in the orchestra. So there was one of the pieces we had to play together and that was really uncomfortable for me, but it was better than the alternative of what I felt was going to be like causing a lot of stress for everybody on the day of a concert. Mm. You sort of were trapped because you didn't have a choice. Like, I really see that. Yeah, 
And I'm really grateful that my colleague encouraged me to say something and Stu did as well and and everything. But it was hard. Like I felt very, because it just happened. Like I felt very small and very kind of guilty somehow. Like all the questions of like, was I leading him on and all this kind of stuff that you read about and you're like, well, if anything happened like that to me, I know that I would be in the right and they'd be in the wrong. It's so much more complicated than that though. Yeah. I said earlier, like I've been journaling about it like so much today just to be like, what happened? How am I feeling about it? Because yeah. I think a large part of it is not wanting to know how I feel about it. It's almost easier mm-hmm. to be like, it happened in a different country. It happened last week. I'd rather just start fresh, forget about it and not sit with how I feel about it. Mm. Especially as what strikes me is the minimizing that you're doing around yeah. it. I guess if you were to like accept the sort of breadth of how it's impacted you, you might not feel like you're allowed to do that because it's not bad enough or something maybe. Yeah. I think just because there has been a lot of awful things in the past few years reported in the classical music world. And I think in comparison, my experience feels much lesser, even though, of course, you know, you can't compare these things. And it is better always to say something when things aren't don't reach the utmost, like the worst thing that could ever happen. But I think a bit like mental health, like you don't want to speak out in case you're not bad enough. Mm. Like I didn't want to say anything in case it caused consequences that out, in my mind outweighed what actually happened. Mm. But for the record, you know, when you were telling the story, I was really exasperated that you thought that it wasn't too bad. Yeah. Because to imagine myself at night in that situation is like really terrifying. To imagine you in that situation is also incredibly terrifying. You know, it's... Yeah. But it goes to show like, when you're not the one, when you're the one in it, there's so many complexities that we kind of forget. And when it's a colleague as well, and and like, Mm. you know, I knew him for three weeks. He was always very like, jolly, upbeat everyone loves him or like everyone sees him as like yeah the life and soul of the party and I think because he's not like an insidious character or like mm. he's shunned not, or whatever or known yeah, for it or exactly and yeah. he's not the kind of person that you'd put you'd point your finger and be like oh I reckon they'd be the kind of person to do that right that's so interesting yeah that made it a lot harder and that's how people get away with it though like yeah not on a bigger level but like on a wider level yeah, exactly. I'm, you know, I'm really grateful that you've shared it because I think you will have helped a lot of people just by like saying it out loud, something that I think, yeah, must feel really like exposing. Yeah, I think it feels very confusing. And I like, I sometimes worry about talking about it in case I haven't figured out how I fully feel about it and then I say something that I'm like actually I don't feel that anymore or like because my Mm. opinions about it have changed so much over the past few days or whatever it feels like well what if I feel completely differently in a week's time but this is you this is you where you're at now which is an important place to record yeah in some ways yeah because 
you know, this is your experience. This is where you're at now. This, this is a, you feel like you want to share. So it can't be wrong. Yeah. And I, I don't think we hear enough about people like soon after things. And I know there's a reason for that potentially, but. I think I was struck at how there wasn't a clear right or wrong thing to do in the aftermath. Mm. Like actually on the day of the concert, it was the right thing for me to wait and just get through it and deal with the difficult pieces that I was playing. And then just afterwards with the support of one of my colleagues, like say something, but that wasn't, that might not have been the right thing for somebody else to do. Some people might need longer. Some people might need to say something straight away. Mm -hmm. Like there isn't one way of dealing with it. Mm. I'm just can't, every time something like this happens, I just feel so angry that you had to deal with it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And especially in, as we were kind of saying, like there's that element of power that he has and you kind of want to protect his power in some ways. And also, I mean, not to like, he was playing a principal part. So it felt even more like he was indispensable to the concert. Mm. So like, in my mind, I was like, how on earth would they find somebody at such short notice? Mm -hmm. Like, you know, that, I mean, I'm sure even if he'd been like the most, what do you call it? When someone's not really needed. So, uh, Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> like surplus player <laughs> like even if he'd been really not needed in the program yeah I'm sure I still would have felt that but there was like almost always an excuse for mm. why he it would be the worst thing to say something before the concert mm. wow so interesting that it was the night before the last concert as well yeah I don't know just in terms of timing it's it's just so shit yeah it made it worse because I mean, when I was here last, when I was in Lucerne two years ago, there was somebody within the first few days that got sent home for being kind of sexist or inappropriate. Really? And that was almost, I mean, it was very difficult for the people that reported him, obviously, but then it meant that they could have, they could support each other for the next three weeks and and kind of talk about it and process it. Whereas it feels like this one, it's like, well, I had to keep it to myself for so long. And then by the time I started telling people, we had to go. So that's probably why you still feel like you're processing it. Yeah, definitely. Because it was almost like it happened, massive stress of concert, massive stress of travel. Yeah. And it's like, how could you possibly process that? And now we have to record. I know. Goes, and you've been teaching as well already. I know. I'm the dentist. And yeah. Wow. Bloody dentist. Yeah, but no, I'm grateful to be able to talk about it because actually once, when you said, you know, you mentioned a few things that you wanted to talk about and I was like, actually, this does feel like the right space to just Mm. say something. Mm. Because yeah, in that moment, I was like, oh my God, like this is such a fucked up situation purely because of the way that the music system works. Like if it had been in an office job or Mm. some other situation, it may, I'm not saying it would have been easy, but it may have been easier to not, I don't know, not to feel like there was a kind of time constraint on my trauma or something like that. Wow. And like having to hide it for a concert. Yeah. And had to perform. It felt like I was performing, not just on the stage, but then like before when I wasn't, able to say something I was like 
trying to be happy and like you know everyone was in this kind of celebratory mood and really upbeat and I was like I feel like shit (laughs) yeah oh my lord wow life goes on though (laughs) (laughs) had to be British about it at the very end of course I know perfect can't talk about something like that without having a nice upbeat ending to it no, I think it's, I just think it's, it's interesting how you, you know, before we recorded, you also said, is this too much? Like there's always a sense that our experiences are too much for people. And like, I've said that to you in the past as well. So many times. Yeah. And I, I'm just kind of annoyed that we, that we even think that it would be too much. Yeah. I guess there's always the worry that you're going to trigger someone or like, kind of like you never know where somebody's at in their own lives yeah but I guess there is a responsibility on the the listener or or the consumer of whatever it is to know themselves but it's a fine line to to walk isn't it yeah and I think when it's kind of sharing with each other I often feel I mean I don't know why I often feel ready to share things on here probably far sooner than I should. I don't know. Or like... I know what you mean. Yeah. It's weird. It's weird. But I don't know whether you feel this, but I think I feel sometimes like a certain pride in being almost too vulnerable sometimes on here. Mm. I don't know. There's a sort of thrill (laughs) in sharing too soon or too much sometimes. Yeah. And sometimes I think I live off that a little bit too much. That's so interesting. We're like, we both have that side of it. But because I, I, th- yeah. I think also even the people that I met at Lucerne, like, you know, we exchanged Instagrams and stuff. And like the next day they'd come into rehearsal and be like, oh, my God, I love your Instagram. And I felt so good from that. And then I knew that that was because of how vulnerable I am on there sometimes. Mm. Mm. But then that kind of pushes me almost to want to do more and like be more vulnerable and oh my God, share more so stuff. True. I would never have admitted that, but it's so true. It's like, what else can I share? Like, yes. What other stuff yes. can I dig out? And sometimes I see someone else sharing and I'm like, jealous. <laughs> yeah. No, I know what you mean. Because I yeah. think it becomes part of our identity is on this podcast or as yeah. on whatever, like that we share stuff. I think I used to worry that it was attention seeking and I've kind of numbed myself to that a little bit now by having the thrill of sharing something Mm. wow that's so true that's so true hopefully it's not always like that but no no I don't think it is element of that yes I completely agree but I don't think I think because there aren't many situations in life where I feel like I can share those things Mm. it feels exhilarating to have that space where nobody's gonna stop me saying that yeah like finally I feel that because I think my family don't find it easy and I know yours don't either should we be saying that I don't know a lot of families have a weird I think that's yeah that's fair like I think as a parent or as a family member you feel partly responsible for your family members well-being so actually when they share all this stuff I think both of our families have felt like it's an indication of their Hmm. parenting skills or something like Hmm. that yeah well for sure that's the thought but yeah I think my therapist at the moment as well she's always trying to go back and 
and make me consider where things might have come from. But for some reason, a lot of my issues feel very ancestral. <laughs> Do you know where I'm going wow. with this? But like, they feel very much at, from the soil of being a woman and the soil of being a yeah. mentally ill person and the soil of being a diabetic as well now. Yeah. They all kind of feel like traumas, not that have stemmed from my parents, but have stemmed from just like the way society views those issues and how I'm trying to navigate the world. It's kind of unavoidable. It's like, okay, even if I hadn't had this upbringing, like I would still be a woman in this day and age. I would still be X, Y, Z. Like, yeah, completely. I would still have these pressures. Someone was like, oh yeah, I think it was in a, I've been reading Conversations with Friends by Sally Rooney. I think Bobby in it says something like depression is a symptom of capitalism or something like that. Oh my God. And it was just like, I don't know. It kind of made me feel better about like the struggle, like the constant struggle of it all being like, well, it was kind of simultaneously better and worse because you know that you can't solve it (laughs) because it's more intersectional. It's more like external than you think. But even if like we're not, you can't remove yourself from the context of society. So why, why would our problems solely come from experiences that we've had as individuals yeah I think about that so much me too (laughs) I just can't especially because I don't know about you but I feel like I was born anxious (laughs) I think I was born depressed yeah do you know what I mean though there's there's a kind of element to like wow this is seriously inbuilt in me and this is a part of me that I'm always going to have to look after and I've never not had to deal with in a way But do you think there's an element of, I mean, I know we've talked about this before, but not wanting to leave that part of you because it's such a big part of you. Mm. Yeah, I think I've had a lot of that in the last year. I think my issues with self-harm was sort of like the last, part of the last gasp of really clinging on to an identity with mental illness. And now I feel like it's much more case by case basis of whether I have to identify with it or not. You know, like if I'm in a busy place or there are certain things I still really trigger me or whatever. But I think more in general, I just have the solid, I've kind of agreed with myself that I'll do everything I can to advocate for it. But in terms of the way I live my life, I think it's less wrapped up within it as it maybe was a year or so ago. I don't think about it all the time anymore in the same way. I feel a bit more freed from it. Your identity is... Yeah, my identity and and my mental health. But Mm -hmm. yeah, especially my identity. And I feel like, you know, we put this on and I can think about it because we're both interested in it beyond Mm. being an identity. We're interested in how it affects others. And we, we know how horrible it can be. We know that that experience of depression or suicidal ideation is not something that just because we don't experience it is not something that goes away in society. Mm. you know yeah I don't know where that came from where I was going with that I think it came from the fact that we were trying to reach an hour (laughs) Um, we can't stop and it's just we can't stop it's gonna be just downhill from now but well no no it's not gonna be downhill because we're gonna do our wins of the week oh lovely okay (laughs) oh lovely I think we should start (laughs) shit okay my win of the week is (sighs) Buying a new shampoo. Shampoo. I actually did buy shampoo yesterday. Thank you. 
What brand, if you don't mind sharing? Only curls. <laughs> it's like only good. fans for the curls. Curly yes, hair among it's us. A sexual platform for curls. No, it's hard because I feel like in the past week so much has happened, mm. but also nothing. Classic. That's, a, that's not true. My win of the week is, I guess, like one of the things I am very proud of is that I took the train to and from Lucerne. Wow, yeah. Instead of flying, which would have been a lot easier, oh. but not that much shorter. Really? So yeah, save the planet. That's it was amazing. Like London to Paris, Paris to Basel, Basel to Lucerne. Okay. And yeah, I get a bit stressed about travel and it was mm. probably more stressful because even in Paris, we had to change station. We had to go across Paris with instruments and suitcases and stuff but I managed it and I also didn't feel the pressure to be social the entire journey because I was with other people that's so good so I just put my headphones on because I know you were worried about that yes oh you're so great how about you um I had one and now it's gone out of my mind you're out of your mind well we knew that already I (laughs) had I guess the thing that came to my mind is kind of related to yours, but for a different reason. I got the tube last night and I never get the tube. Wow. That's a big thing for you. It is. I don't know why. I'm still really scared of the tube, but not in a kind of like, it's not as if I would worry for days about taking it. It's just like, I do everything I can to avoid it. Well, even talking to people that aren't from England or London, on the in Lucerne it's like when you mention the tube everyone knows how shit the London tube is okay so I think you're perfectly justified in your fear slash like discomfort with the tube that's true now I think I think I do that a lot is I decide that something I feel is a problem and not normal and then like capitalize off it or make it into a big deal when actually Mm. I think a lot of the things I feel are quite quite universal yeah everyone hates the tube Apart from people that are obsessed with the tube. <laughs> Some people have a real issue with the bus, though, which I don't share. I, I haven't met bus. that many people that have an issue with the bus. Okay. I mean, if they do, they probably don't live in it's the millennials. London. It's the millennials. The millennials. They just want to drive everywhere. Get the line <laughs> bikes. <laughs> oh, this has been actually lovely. Lovely. Lovely jubbly. We got back in the swing. The swing, yes. We're back now. Well done, everyone. We not made it. again. Yeah, not for a bit anyway. Not till next summer, probably. <laughs> Thanks for listening to our Voices Radio episode. This will be on our main feed soon. And uh, yeah, we're back now for the academic year. Next episode, I believe, is going to be Koshka Duff. Forgot to tell you about that. Oh, fantastic. And then we've got Gavin Higgins, I believe, after that. It's all getting quite cool pretty cool we've got the cool cool peeps coming and if you haven't listened to our episode with Aaron Akubo who just did his BBC Proms solo debut give it a listen we talk about identity as a black and gay musician in the classical world and brass lad culture and being a soloist yeah everything pretty much so yeah it's quite a good time over there so go check it yeah over there on your phone over there all right awesome see you later bye bye